It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Their premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians. If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to $100,000 plus a year at AAA Heating and Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark. The 2007 South Carolina class was, at that time, sixth in the country and fourth in the SEC, which is amazing. Wes Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a position to compete. And Tyler Head. It's been a great week for South Carolina. On the recruiting front, still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. And welcome into the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on 107.5 The Game, Tyler Head, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell along with you for the hour. Uh, me and Chris just wrapping up a great conversation with Cole Messina on the Garnet Trust Hour. If you missed any of that, it will be up shortly on the 107.5 The Game podcasting page and uh, Chris, as you mentioned at the beginning of our interview with him, normally known as a catcher, but over the weekend got to play a little bit of third base as unfortunately for the baseball team, injuries starting to rack up a little bit as we get later and later into the season. Yeah, they're up right now. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, Cole said that Mark Kingston's been pretty even keel about it. The rest of the team's been pretty even keel. And the good news about it is... They are in a position where they could, by year's end, have everybody back or just about everybody back, which should be pretty exciting. And the way Cole said it before we got out of here is, look, you know, yeah, we're, we're pretty banged up right now, but our lineup's still dangerous. You know, we still can put people out there and be a very, very dangerous team, whether it's pitchers hitting in the lineup. So he seems to feel pretty good about it. Obviously, the... Um, the slate doesn't get any easier. Um, you go to Winthrop tomorrow, and then you've got at Kentucky, at Arkansas, which has been a great team this year. Kentucky's been really good. And then Tennessee, which Wes pointed out to me yesterday, has all of a sudden heated up. And that's obviously going to be tough before you even get into the SEC tournament. So I got two things to say about Cole Messina. Uh, first of all, my man gets more extension on his follow-through, like the back side of his swing than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, like, he does not get cheated. And um, I, 
I guess I had noticed it before, but I first I started really noticing it that Vanderbilt weekend when he felt like he hit ten bombs. Um, he was hitting the ball over their their kind of big green monster look alike out there, and um, so what? Just watch his follow through. Like more extension does not get cheated. Um, actually, kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Shaw Murphy's swing with the Braves, um, and that these dudes are going to get their money's worth, and then. Like y'all are talking about, stepping in and playing third base last week. You know, we've seen him play first base. That's one thing. But to step over there and play third when your team needs it in an SEC game is um, pretty impressive. And a kind of small thing, but just caught my attention. There was a play, I think this was on Sunday, where there were runners on first and second. And uh, it was kind of a little chopper hit to him. And... Most guys who were catchers playing third base are probably like, all right, let me just make sure I can field this ball cleanly and then gently step on third and get the lead out. And Cole picks the ball, steps on third, fires across the first, and tries to turn a double play, nearly turns the double play. And I'm like, man, that truly takes a certain level of confidence to make that throw as a third baseman who's not an actual third baseman at all. You know, like most guys are going to be, their approach can be like, let me just not screw this up. He was over there trying to make the big play, which I I, I really just respect that, that um, this guy is out there doing something I'm sure he's not completely comfortable doing in front of, you know, 5,000 people plus ESPN2 at home, I think. And um, it, there's just something you got to respect about that. The the cool thing about Cole is he is, you know, he will just say kind of tell it how it is, you know, and he's like, yeah, I, I was, I would be nervous to play this position, or I was a little bit unsure. Even you know, looking at last season when he was a freshman to this year, he admitted that going against you know SEC level pitching, which you're going to see the best of the best, not only on your own team in practice settings, but in big SEC series Friday night guys who have a chance to be first-round MLB draft picks. He was a little bit nervous even last year, but has really just grown into it and, um, you know, has had a great year. Also admitted that he, he's he been surprised, you know, by his power numbers, which he's hit some absolutely mammoth shots. Like you're talking about the Vandy Series West, hitting him over that, that monster, uh, the Clemson game, uh, shot that he hit, kind of the exclamation point on that game, which, by the way, Wes, I don't know if you heard this part, Cole has not seen the clip that has the perspective that looks into Clemson's dugout, and you've got the Clemson player telling him to run as he admires the home run trot. Has not actually seen that, so I have to make sure we get that over to him. Yeah, that was that that was a special moment, and um, it's that's kind of funny he hasn't seen it. Who was it? Was that Casas or Petri? Who was it that told us they had watched? Uh, it, was, it was Casas. Because we were, I was telling Cole that, and he's like, "I'm not surprised." He had watched his like a hundred times. Yeah, yeah. I said tw- fifteen or twenty. It might have been like a hundred. Yeah, somewhere in between, probably. But and I think he analyzed. Cassis also analyzes like the the home run trots. Apparently, according uh, to sources, uh, we couldn't get into this with Cole Messina because, you know, we don't want him to get in trouble. But And we didn't get to talk about baseball yesterday, but a big controversy from over the weekend revolved around Coach Kingston getting ejected on Sunday for 
really just trying to bring to the attention of the umpire that the pitch clock has expi- had expired when Caleb Denny was up at bat in a uh, full count, two men on situation with two outs. And I think that was the third inning. Uh, he ends up getting tossed before even being able to get two words in as the umpire, I guess, was assuming he was trying to argue on the check swing. Uh, not a good look because, again, Coach Kingston was right, and he gets tossed two steps out of the dugout before he can even point out what was very clearly wrong there and that the pitch clock expired and Caleb Denny should have been given a free base. Those umpires had an awful weekend, uh, I felt like. Like, they... they uh I don't want to say they're bad. Like, I don't obviously grade their performances every weekend, and I don't even know their names, but they they had a weekend to forget. Let's put it like that. And you had two controversial calls about home, or excuse me, about foul or fair on home runs that, you know, certainly, now South Carolina ended up winning on Sunday, obviously. Could have, you know, could have been game-changing if they had not. And, um, you know, if we can track... I truly believe if we can track these balls now with, um, you know, pitch track and Hitman and all this stuff, then I think there's got to be a better way to determine. Frankly, like we're at the point where I'm I'm for the robo ump, and um, you know I, I think we can pretty easily track a, if a ball is foul or fair at this point without having to just look up into the sky. For I mean, a ball as high as Casas is that goes over the foul pole, you know, which should be called the fair pole, but I guess that's another story. I, I'm just, I, I'm a little fed up, if y'all can tell, by the, like, we can make all these other changes in baseball. Why can't we get replay and what should be easy calls right by using technology? And uh, also, what is the point of even having a pitch clock if we're not going to actually pay attention to the thing? Well, and that's something that Jay and Terry brought up yesterday. It seems almost a little bit arbitrary that you're just relying on looking at this clock in the outfield. You know, why isn't there a watch or why isn't there somebody in the umpire's ear saying, hey, clock's expired, you know, ball strike, whatever it may be. Like, it, it, it kind of goes back to the play clock thing in football. Like, you know, there's many times where the play clock runs out, but it's like, oh, well, the, you know, back judge what didn't have time to look up at it and then blow his whistle, so he let the play go. Like, those kind of things seem a little bit ridiculous, again, with all the technology we have out at our fingertips now. My my biggest frustration about the umps, yes, the quality of the calls is bad, but when they when they make it about themselves, like everybody paid their money, tailgated to come out there and just, man, I cannot wait to see how this ump does today, you know, how, how he acts. We, we don't care, you know, and like the Kingston early hook, is kind of evidence of that. I was talking to Cole about the one um, in the college game recently where, you know, the player, he goes, yeah, he went a little bit far arguing a ball or strike with an ump that was kind of on the line. And so the ump just rings him up on the next pitch to end the game on a ball that was five feet off, off the plate. That's my biggest frustration with it. Um, and, and I think now... To Wes's point, with these other things being put in to pay attention to, right, the the pitch clock and when the batter's in the box, I think there is some evidence building that it's even distracting um, umpires from being able to do the other integral parts of their job. Or they're so worried about 
player conduct and let let me give a warning to this this dugout or let me give a warning to this player let me make sure he's not celebrating too much so now oh I don't even see where the ball went right you know that's that's the bad part yeah let me give a warning to Casas after for celebrating a home run and then let me figure out yeah if it's foul or fair yeah like that should not be the mechanism for making that call. So and and as it ends up, he gets a warning for celebrating a foul ball. <laughs> so I mean, the whole thing just ends up being really silly. This is where we are. It's where we are. It's ridiculous. Um, that all that being said, it was a rough weekend against Auburn. You lose uh, the first two games. Obviously, end up winning the third one, eight to seven, despite all the things that that could have gone wrong there. You know, these kind of series happen, and I kind of uh, liken it to being a windshield and a bug sometimes. Sometimes you're the windshield, and you go out there, and you dominate against a top-ranked Florida team, and sometimes you're the bug, and you just kind of get run over by an Auburn team that really came in trying to prove something because they were just on the outside looking in as far as postseason projections go, according to a lot of top outlets around the country. So they had a reason to come in here motivated with a chip on their shoulder and for South Carolina you know you're in the midst of all these tough series and you got another one coming up this weekend against Kentucky but you know I don't think it's too much to read into and they should be able to bounce back tomorrow against Winthrop and then this weekend against Kentucky. Yeah and this you know I, I don't think this is spin I, I think it is very accurate to say that they're, they showed us something by winning that Sunday game because Every single thing that could go wrong for them this weekend went wrong. And, you know, I, I think even the Sunday game, you're probably sitting there like, all right, they got us to let's let's reset. Let's get our Sunday game and let's at least salvage this series. And then what happens? Auburn's up, um, I think, what, 4 nothing to start that game, too. Then they're up like 5-1 or 5-2. And you're like, how how does this keep happening? And... You know, so I, I think for them to just keep battling, and even within that game, you think you've taken the lead, and then you find out the Casas ball is actually foul. You actually do get back in the game, and then um, I guess tie it up, and uh, Auburn turns right back around. Very first batter after South Carolina had tied it up, you made a pitching change. You brought in Eli Jones. Very first batter hits a home run. Auburn goes up again. So. You, you had adversity for the entire weekend. You had adversity within that game itself. And yes, you lost the series. That's not a series you would want to lose, obviously. But, you know, when we look at it at the end of the year, every win counts, you know. So I, I think um, you bought yourself a little bit of, I, I guess, goodwill by sweeping Florida. So I look at those two things kind of evening themselves out. Like on paper, you probably would take two out of three from Florida. You probably take two out of three from Auburn. At the end of the day, you swept Florida. You only got one from Auburn, but you went four and two for those two weekends. So by the numbers, it's fine. I think as far as their batting order, once you get everybody back healthy, you're fine. They've proven what they can do. I think your biggest concern right now is something that does not involve your, you know, your injuries or your hitting or any of that is the fact that your starting pitching did not have a great week at all. And this was an Auburn team. They're a little bit different than, like, say, Florida. They grind out at bats. They um, really don't strike out a ton. And uh, they just weren't a great matchup for South Carolina, I guess. But that, to me, is your biggest concern. You got, we thought maybe Will Sanders had turned a corner. You got to get him going. 
not Jack Mahoney's best start. And I, I just, I think they still truly miss Noah Hall. Yeah, there, it seemed like there were kind of several different things that you could point to as to why the series didn't ultimately go their way. And, you know, certainly one of them, Wes, was exactly what you said. The starting pitching has been incredible this year. And that's even when they've been in this span where they've been missing Noah Hall. They've still been very good because they've had Mahoney has stepped up and, um, you know, been able to eat even more innings, have some, put together some of his best starts, really battle. Got Becker, who's been the the uh, the game three guy. He's been really good. You know, I don't to some degree some of that maybe was going to even out, but now it does show up when you are at some point you probably are going to miss Noah Hall. You can't expect these guys to be not that they've been perfect, but that good on a week in week out basis. And frankly, I mean, this is a team that's banged up. That's not an excuse. It's it's, it's cool and fun and. You know, trendy to, to use the win anyway thing. And, I, well, you know, you're missing five guys, just go win anyway. When they do it, sure, it's great to say, but it's okay to have the context of this is a pretty banged up team. And it makes it even more incredible that despite not having their lineup or their pitching staff at completely full strength, they've still been able to go out and put together, you know, like you said, in the last six games, a four and two stretch. That's still really, really good. That said, they need to get some of these guys back. They had another, you know, um, unfortunate injury with Braylon Wimmer, but they can get healthy by the end of the year. And I think seeing this team, what they could be again, uh, once they get everybody back, is still should be exciting to fans. The baseball team will be back in action tomorrow night, taking on Winthrop up in Rock Hill. First pitch for that coming up at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage can be heard right here on 107.5 The Game starting at 545 on the other side going to dive back into the Traven Robertson hire as South Carolina's new defensive line coach right here on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on 1075 the game Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, Wes, and Chris. Along with you on this Tuesday morning. And the latest news in the world of Gamecocks football. Is of course Traven Robertson being hired as the new defensive line coach for the departing uh, Jimmy Lindsley from last week as he heads out to LSU. As far as what we know about Travion Robertson, are we expecting any differences in coaching style or coaching philosophies, or are we just going to kind of plug in and play and do the same thing that we've been doing with Jimmy Lindsay up to this point? You know, I, I think multifaceted answer. For one, we got to remember, at the end of the day, this is still going to be Clayton White's defense. So I, I don't think you're going to see... A ton of changes necessarily in how things are run up front, basically from like an X's and O's or a schematic standpoint. Uh, I do think we'll maybe see South Carolina run a little bit more of kind of that like 3-4 type look or 3-4 personnel we saw in the spring just because that's what personnel they currently have. I don't think that's – I think that was going to be the case regardless. You know, however, every coach I think does have – their own unique spin on how they coach a position. You know, I, I think building toughness, kind of a cliche, but this is something that will be a focus from what I've heard of Travion Robertson. He's a detail-oriented guy. Um, he is a technician. He is going to basically 
preach that uh, got kind of that Brad Long philosophy. Like you, you're not going to just be able to under him go play based on your natural ability. Like you're going to have to play the position the way he wants it played. I think in order to get on the field, and ultimately, I think that's what you want because you are in this league, man. I mean, you're facing obviously. Uh, offensive linemen that are massive and uh, in some cases equally as athletic as you and uh, you have to have that technique to find that edge so I I think this is going to be a good hire I think he will bring his own sort of unique slant to the position Um, he will be a little bit maybe less experienced obviously than Jimmy Lindsay and so I, I think there there are pros and cons to any to any move I think yeah I think there's still some like to be determined and some things to learn you know once uh travian robertson gets in place which will be very soon a lot of what he's going to be doing in columbia is just getting to know his players um recruiting there's going to be a lot of that going on you know right now we're in a period where it's not like you're bringing in a guy and okay practice is starting right now you know if you'd hired a guy in january or february spring practice is kind of right around the corner um, they're already past that, obviously, with this hiring timeline. And so the, the first time that he's really going to take the field in full pads with a ball is going to be with his guys in preseason camp. They, coaches can do some more things now with the rules being relaxed in the summertime. So he'll get to know them. They'll get acclimated to each other. But I think later this year in preseason camp is, where, is when we're going to learn a lot more about you know the techniques and things like that. Jimmy Lindsay, who's leaving, obviously left South Carolina for LSU, he was a Pete Jenkins disciple. And Pete Jenkins is a legendary, you know, defensive line coach. Um, Nick Saban brings him in to consult a lot. He's got this big, like, coaching tree. And interestingly, Jimmy Lindsay is like a Pete Jenkins guy, too. And Pete Jenkins is actually an LSU alum and his coach there. So that may have even helped in terms of a tie of getting the job. Travian Robertson as Wes said, doesn't have as much experience. You know, um, I think his first job was in 2018, 2019 at Albany State. That was his first full-time D-line coaching job. But he also has coached under one of the better D-line coaches in college football in Brad Lawing. He also, in his own right, is a legend um, on the recruiting trail, on the field. And so I would anticipate as well him taking some of those things that Brad Lawing taught him as a player when he learned under lawing and as a coach to the field as well. And before we hit the break, I want to let you know about today's sub of the day over at Firehouse Subs, being that it is Tuesday. That means it's my favorite day for the sub of the day. Turkey Bacon Ranch. Um, I, th- I thought you were about to just take over on that one, Tyler. <laughs> That's your, your favorite sub ever, right? That's correct. Um, also, Juice Wells' favorite sub we learned. Everybody. Firehousesubs.com, Firehouse Subs app. Hit the Rapid Rescue. Every single day there is a sub of the day, and uh, you can get yours. you get your medium for $7.99. You can get a small for $5.99, but you don't want to do that. Just go ahead. Go with the medium. Hit the Rapid Rescue. They're going to have it waiting on the shelf with you. They're going to have the chips waiting on you. All you got to do is grab your drink as well. Again, Firehousesubs.com, Firehouse Subs app. Shout out Larry Chandler. He's our dude main presenting sponsor of this show every single day. Appreciate you, Larry. As we move through the spring, the transfer portal window for entering your name uh, closed the other day, uh, but there's still plenty plenty of time for schools to 
get guys out of there in South Carolina is obviously looking to fill several holes on their roster, and we'll talk about some of those potential uh, guys uh, that could be uh, Gamecocks down the line. Coming up next in the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen, with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head, on your home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. Welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler West and Chris along with you. have been talking a lot about Travian Robertson being the new defensive line coach for the Gamecocks football team. And, and one thing that we know the Gamecocks are going to do over the course of the next weeks, months, whatever it may be, is you know continue to look into the transfer portal to add some pieces to their team in the areas uh, on the roster that are a little bit thin. One of those areas being the... Uh, edge position on defense and the athletic put out this article yesterday referencing the best available players in the transfer portal right now and and one name that was listed in the top five is this isaac uh Ukwu from james madison a defensive end uh, guys played a lot of football seventh year senior um racked up a, a good amount of stats in his uh seasons there at james madison at 6'3, 260 pounds now we don't have any d- direct connection for him at South Carolina, um, he I know he's supposed to be going to Auburn very very soon, and certainly on the radar of some other SEC teams. But again, that's just kind of one of those names throughout there is could be a potential fit um, for this team uh, in the transfer portal. Yeah, I think that edge running back. Um, we've seen maybe a, or heard a little bit more chatter maybe about adding a defensive back. Chris, that was something, you know, we talked about it. They, they almost uh, landed the kid from Florida during the last window. He ended up going to Missouri instead, I think. But, you know, those are kind of the positions that we know South Carolina is focused on. And if somebody else pops up, maybe a, a defensive tackle potentially, maybe a linebacker, that too. But it, it really seems like right now those are the guys or those are the positions we can most focus on. You know, at, at edge, I, I think Jatius Gear appears to be one that you should most be maybe focused in on if you're a South Carolina fan you're kind of trying to project how this is going to happen, how it's going to play out. He really came on strong at Syracuse this past season. Is not one of these guys who just has one year of eligibility left. Really, he has basically an entire career ahead of him. He was a redshirt freshman this past season. Three full years of eligibility left. Is a long guy. Really, um, you know, I, I could see him coming into South Carolina and starting. I could see him coming into South Carolina and kind of being more of a reserve role as well, which, you know, some of these portal guys are only looking for, hey, I got one year. I got to basically be guaranteed the starting spot. I don't know if that's necessarily the case with gear, but I, I think if you're looking for kind of that crossroads, we always talk about where heavy interest from the player, heavy interest from South Carolina. He's a Palmetto State native. Um, gear is probably the guy to most pay attention to. Real quick on uh, Isaac Okwu. He is from James Madison and uh, does know Juice Wells. They were on the same team together at James Madison. Uh, Juice had even tweeted something uh, at or about that player. But so far, Wes, doesn't seem like there's been really anything mutual there in terms of interest. Gear is the one, as you said, that we have been, you know, really, really watching. And 
Gear is someone, Wes, that I really, really liked out of high school. And a little bit different. I actually thought that he might end up being a defensive tackle. In high school, he was listed being, I believe he was 6'5", 260. And he kind of had the look as maybe a future interior guy. This past season at Syracuse, listed at 6'6", 233. And like you said, played outside. And perhaps could end up being somebody that could, if he ends up getting bigger, putting more good weight back on, Maybe he can play some of both for you, but as it is, we know, of course, South Carolina has the biggest need at the edge position, but this is someone who played at Belton Honeypath High School in the upstate, right down the road from where I grew up, actually, and um, I really like this kid in high school. Um, I think it's safe to say now, based on you know a, sh- a small sample size in college, but he went under-recruited is, is the bottom line. Um, he had some offers. I mean, Georgia Tech, Memphis, Kansas State, UCF, Syracuse, where he ended up. But you look at what he did last season at Syracuse. Redshirted in his first year, just appeared in one game. But he started 12 of 13 games for Syracuse. He had three and a half sacks, six hurries, a forced fumble, a block kick. Um, he was a pretty good. He was a pretty good player and a pretty big part of a defense that ended up being 21st in total defense in the country and then enters the portal. So I think it's it's somebody that makes a lot of sense for South Carolina. And frankly, I think South Carolina makes a lot of sense for gear as well. Yeah, you know, some some of these things are just kind of obvious. And that one uh, appears obvious both on surface and sort of, I, I guess, asking around with what his plans might be there as well. Um Going through this list from the athletic, I, I gotta say, man. So there's a lot of wide receivers on here. Several guys that actually are familiar names for South Carolina fans. That it, that it doesn't seem like you know. I'm not bringing these up because I think they're going to end up at South Carolina. It doesn't seem like there's maybe much traction here. But for those who are like recruiting nerds like us, Keon Coleman, a wide receiver, Michigan State, very good player. Um, Rumor is he could potentially be headed back to LSU. Uh, they have him as number two on this list. Um, Alton McCaskill, the fourth from Houston. No South Carolina ties there, but this guy is a stud. I think he was hurt last year, but was a monster his first year in that conference. Um, Cameron, I mean, Houston just got decimated by the portal. Cameron Johnson, offensive lineman who actually South Carolina did offer out of the portal, doesn't really seem like. There's much traction there. But going through the list, remember uh, Traquan Fagans, Chris, uh, Alabama cornerback. Now, I believe if you're an – you can't go SEC to SEC right now. You'd have to sit out. So that kind of would lock out someone like him potentially. But that was a guy that we really tracked for South Carolina out of high school. And let's see, going down the list here. I'll tell you what, Logan Diggs – who is a junior running back from Notre Dame that is in the portal. He is not on this list. He probably should be. I got to feel like he absolutely should be one of the top 25 guys on this list. I would say probably probably behind Alton McCaskill, who I just mentioned, the running back at Houston. Diggs probably the best running back available right now in the portal. South Carolina, I expect, will try to make a swing there. However... The strong rumor is that he's going to end up at LSU as well because, A, he's from Louisiana. B, he went to Notre Dame where he was coached, obviously, by Brian Kelly. 
And uh, this guy, six foot, 214 pounds, is a true SEC style running back that can hold up and be kind of that bell cow back. Notre Dame was just loaded in the backfield. So um, someone, again, South Carolina going to take a swing there, but it's uh, probably going to be tough to get him. Yeah, I remember watching, uh, obviously, in the Gator Bowl, watching Notre Dame's running backs and, and they keep bringing them. You're like, well, who is this one? You know, it's just like they had three guys that seemed like they were all very similar. Diggs was one of those. He had, I remember, I was going back and looking at it yesterday, he had a 39-yard touchdown run, and he also was the one that had the 75-yard touchdown catch, just a little swing pass, and he just took it. That yeah, to That was him? That was him. That was Logan Diggs. You remember that play? Yeah. Yeah, he can move. He's fast. Yeah, big guy that, that can run. LSU though is it, they're going to be a problem on the recruiting trail. I think there's three or four like big time guys in the portal that just happen to be from the state of Louisiana. Yeah, in this cycle always helps. And uh, yeah, and and they do a good job keeping guys in state. But Diggs uh, is one of those. There's another defensive back actually from Louisiana, University of Louisiana, uh, Trey Amos, who jumped into the portal too. That Wes, I'm kind of wondering if South Carolina may take a look at him there as well, but he is also a Louisiana native and somebody that's been uh, tied to LSU. Before we hit this break, speaking of the transfer portal, you know something else that needs to go into the transfer portal possibly? Your insurance. You can uh, look at switching and saving with our friends Amy Mason Cup, State Farm. Switching is easy, so take a look at your insurance, see what you're paying, see if you need better coverage. But call our friend Amy Mason Cup State Farm at 803-772-5554. Go to her website, amymasoncup.com. That's Amy, M-A-S-I-N-C-U-P-P.com. It's easy to switch and save with Amy. Uh, give her a call. Ask her about your coverage. Ask her how she can help you save. When my family was looking to switch and save on our insurance. We called Amy and her experience team helped us with that. All sorts of policies, home, auto, business, boat, renters, life, Anything that you need, she's a South Carolina native and local agent, and they can give you a personalized quote. The office is right up there on St. Andrews Road. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Again, that's Amy Mason Cup, 803-772-5554 or amymasoncup.com. Come back on the other side, wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game, talking a little bit of recruiting. Coming up next. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Before we jump into this last segment, we want to thank our friends over at Integrated Media for being such a great supporter of our show. Yeah, they also, uh, Chris, have set us up in here very soon. Everybody will be able to watch us play games during the commercial break. Um, integrated Media, integratedmedia.com. Um, you're better at remembering numbers than I am. So 803-948-8327. Actually, I was just looking at some of Integrated Media's latest work on IG. Integrated underscore media underscore Columbia, I believe is how you can find them. On Instagram, you can check out some of their uh, inspiration, frankly. You know, what what are they there. working with on there, man? Man, they've got, I mean, just all sorts of, like, cool outdoor stuff. See, like, 
everything from just like a sound bar under a TV to like this huge, like, look at this TV on this outdoor chimney. I mean, what if you had that at your house? TV on a patio. They can do anything big and small. They can do everything from mounting a TV on your patio or in your home to a complete smart home system where you can control everything from the touch of a button on your smartphone. Really, really cool stuff. Give Michael and Nathan and his team at Integrated Media a call, 803-948-8327. Again, check them out on Facebook or Instagram. Or you can go to their website. It's Integrated Media Inc. That's I-N-C dot com. I'd, I'd never leave the house if I had this outside, I feel like. Uh, yeah. They definitely make your home better. No doubt. Uh, Chris, you wrote on Gamecock Central yesterday that June's going to be a very important uh, month as far as recruiting goes. You're going to have a lot of class of 2024 players making their way through Columbia. And looking down this list, there's some names that stick out that we all know uh, pretty well up to this point. Dylan Stewart, Peyton Lewis, just a couple of them. But this is a pretty long list. What, what's a name on here that people should start familiarizing themselves more with um, in hopes of one of these guys uh, potentially being a Gamecock in 2024. Yeah, I, I do think people that pay somewhat of attention to Gamecock recruiting, they know about Dylan Stewart, who's number one player in the country for the 24 class. They know about Jonathan Paler, four-star receiver from North Carolina, Lewis from the state of Virginia, and probably Justin Green, you know, who's uh, slated for a June 9th official, four-star edge. But there's some others, and this this list is going to continue to grow. We know it will just based on the volume that we've seen the past, uh, really last year for South Carolina, it's always an important month because you tend to get some summer commitments. You also tend to get some guys in for officials and you can really kind of not finish the job, but it really gets you closer to potentially landing a commitment. Here's one I'm kind of intrigued by. Uh, Wes, tell me if you agree. Parker Livingstone from Texas. He's scheduled to come in the weekend of June 2nd along with Kaj Sanders, who's a safety from New Jersey, and then Braylon Russell, who's a four-star running back from Arkansas, who we barely talked about, former Arkansas commitment. You think he'll probably end up there. But Livingstone's interesting. Um, he's got, obviously, some Midwest schools after him. Texas is considered a front runner. He's got an official to LSU. But he seems to be quite intrigued by South Carolina. Well, I think from what he said, he really likes Justin Stepp, really likes Dow Loggins, and... I am intrigued by him because if I look at South Carolina's receivers and their potential class, man, like you look, obviously, at Mazio Bennett and his skill set. You look at someone like Jonathan Paler, who's from North Carolina. You look at Zion Reagans, who is from Georgia. A couple of other guys that they've kind of, I would say, focused in on. They're more like speed types. And, you know, Mazio is kind of that all-around receiver that can do a little bit of everything. But I like the fact that Livingstone is a bigger guy. And I always look at classes on the whole. You want to be able to pair together different skill sets. Now, if I'm taking three wide receivers and they're just all studs, but they're all short like me and they're all super fast, then that's fine. But I'd rather kind of balance it out. And if I have two smaller or sort of, um, you know, even, again, Mazio is not small, but he's not like the 6'3", 6'4", guy. I'd rather kind of have some balance in my class. So uh, I think a guy like that really sort of fits in as, as being a nice complement to the other guys who are either already in the class or in the case of Paler has said publicly really for, for several months now that South Carolina is his leader. Um, we Going back to talking about Travion Robertson taking over as the uh, you know defensive line coach, 
we talk about these guys coming in on the defensive side, the Greens, the Stewarts, Jordan Thomases coming in next, next month for their visit. I mean, how important is it for him to establish relationship with these guys really, really quickly and, uh, you know, get up to speed on everything that they've had as far as communication with South Carolina so far? Yeah, and I, I would say, again, um, you know, it's a little bit, frankly, it's a little bit of a misnomer to call him the defensive line coach. So, um, like Dylan Stewart, I'm sure he'll be involved to the extent that any other assistant on defense is involved with his recruitment. But as far as actually coaching his position, you know, he's going to have the interior guys. So really Sterling Lucas is the guy that's going to have the relationship with Dylan Stewart. He's the guy that's going to be primary recruiter. He's the guy who will have him in his room, so to speak, in his position group. Um, Justin Green, you actually see him listed some places as an interior guy. But he is being recruited to South Carolina by Sterling Lucas as well, more as that kind of defensive end or edge guy. So the first two guys, I know some fans on our on our board were a little bit concerned about that same thing. You know, how how does this affect Dylan Stewart? Well, really, frankly, it just doesn't. You know, now I, I would look um, at anybody that's listed as a true like defensive tackle. Anybody that's going to play the interior for South Carolina, you mentioned Jordan Thomas. He is on the books for an official visit. That's a guy where I think, Chris, it, it is going to affect him. And, I mean, he, he's set to take that official visit. It's on the books. But I, I think it's even worth asking, like, okay, is he going to continue to consider South Carolina? Does he like them enough, other than the Jimmy Lindsay connection, to still want to check them out? Some guys pick a school or pick a top five because oh, I love this coach. Some guys it's way deeper and has other variables that affect it. So someone like Jordan Thomas, I think it's fair to ask, will South Carolina take a step back with him or not? Because Lindsay had obviously done a really good job to get South Carolina in the mix with him. Yeah. Jordan, Jordan Thomas, um, another one to watch out for in this class out of the state of North Carolina's denies white. He's been mm-hmm. on campus, uh, I believe, more than once. He was certainly on campus this spring, and you'd think maybe a candidate for this summer. Jordan Thomas has the official visit set. This will probably be uh, a smaller class in terms of numbers for South Carolina at D-Tackle. The 2025 class is one that's probably going to have more volume, and they're in the in the game with some guys there uh, that are pretty intriguing too, one of them being Elijah Griffin, who is the – number one prospect in the 2025 class in the entire country. And that was someone that, you know, Jody Wright is the area recruiter for that school, so he's done a good job. But he did seem to have a pretty good relationship with Lindsay. So you would anticipate that that's going to be one of Robertson's first orders of business is to, is to get on the phone or in person as soon as you can uh, get Elijah Griffin on campus to be able to meet with Robertson. Yeah, Elijah Griffin and Amari Adams. Yeah. Huge. Are the yeah. two guys that I'm? I mean, I've got T. Rob, uh, I got Travian, like going to those schools immediately. Yeah, you know, not that um, Jordan isn't a great player, but to me, those two guys in 2025 are difference makers. I'm sure they'll sign a guy or two for 2024. Frankly, with the young talent they have on campus, I don't even know if I'm too worried about it. I'm saying full steam ahead for these guys you're in on for 2025 and making sure you have that good early relationship built. All right, we'll be back at it tomorrow with another edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Coming up next is the Halftime Show with Jane Terry. You're on 107.5 The Game.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.